are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's reading or have questions, I invite you to head over to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, where you'll be able to interact with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria teaches how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 218. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 327 to 332. 327. At table, the Lord and his most holy mother ate of some of the food, but with the greatest moderation, yet also without showing outwardly their great abstinence. Although when they were alone, they did not eat of such food as I have already recorded, yet these teachers of perfection, who wish not to disapprove of the common life of men, but wish to perfect it, accommodated themselves to all circumstances without any extremes or noticeable singularity, wherever it was possible, to do so without blame and without imperfection. The Lord not only inculcated this by his example, but he commanded his disciples and apostles to eat of what was placed before them on their evangelical tours of preaching, and not to show any singularity in their way of life, such as is indulged in by the imperfect and those little verse in the paths of virtue. For the truly poor and humble must not presume to have a choice in their victuals. By divine arrangement, and in order to give occasion to the miracle, the wine gave out during the meal. And the kind lady said to her son, They have no wine. And the Lord answered, Woman, what is that to me and to thee? My hour is not yet come. This answer of Christ was not intended as a reproach, but contained a mystery. For the most prudent queen had not asked for a miracle by mere accident, but by divine light. She knew that the opportune time for the manifestation of the divine power of her son was at hand. She, who was full of wisdom and knowledge concerning the works of the redemption, and was well informed at what time and on what occasions the Lord was to perform them. Therefore, she could not be ignorant of the proper moment for the beginning of this public manifestation of Christ's power must also be remembered that Jesus did not pronounce these words with any signs of disapproval, but with a quiet and loving majesty. It is true that he did not address the Blessed Virgin by the name of Mother, but Woman. However, this was because, as I have said before, he had begun to treat her with greater reserve. 3.28 The mysterious purpose hidden in this answer of Christ was to confirm the disciples in their belief of his divinity— and to show himself to all as the true God, independent of his mother and his being, and in his power of working miracles. On this account also, he suppressed the tender appellation of mother, 
and called her woman, saying, What does it concern thee, or what part have we, thou and I, in this? As if he wanted to say, The power of performing miracles I have not received from thee, although thou hast given me the human nature in which I am to perform them. My divinity alone is to perform them, and for it the hour is not yet come. He wished to give her to understand that the time for working miracles was not to be determined by his most holy mother, but by the will of God, even though the most prudent lady should ask for them at an opportune and befitting time. The Lord wished to have it understood that the working of miracles depended upon a higher than the human will, on a will divine and above that of his mother and altogether beyond it, that the will of the mother was to be subject to that which was his as the true God. Hence Christ infused into the minds of the apostles a new light by which they understood the hypostatic union of his two natures and the derivation of the human nature from his mother and of the divine by generation from his eternal father. 3.29 The blessed lady well understood this mystery and she said with great modesty to the servants, Whatsoever he shall say to you, do ye. In these words, showing her wise insight to the will of her son, she spoke as the mistress of the whole human race, teaching us mortals that, in order to supply all our necessities and wants, it was required and sufficient on our part to do all that the Savior and those taking his place shall command. Such a lesson could not but come from such a mother and advocate who is so desirous of our welfare, and who, since she so well knew what hindrance we place in the way of his great and numerous miracles for our benefits, wishes to instruct us to meet properly the beneficent intentions of the Most High. The Redeemer of the world ordered the servants to fill the jars or water pots, which, according to the Hebrew custom, had been provided for the occasion. All having been filled, the Lord bade them draw some of the wine into which the water had been changed, and bring it to the chief steward of the feast, who was at the head of the table and was one of the priests of the law. When this one had tasted the wine, he called the bridegroom in surprise and said to him, Every man at first setteth forth good wine, and when men have well drunk that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. 3.30 The steward knew nothing of the miracle when he tasted of the wine, because he sat at the head of the table while Christ and his mother with his disciples occupied the lower end of the table, practicing the doctrine which he was afterwards to teach us, namely, that in being invited to a feast we should not seek to occupy the better places, but be satisfied with the lowest. Then the miracle of changing the water into wine and the dignity of the Redeemer was revealed. The disciples believed anew, as the evangelist says, and their faith in him was confirmed. Not only they, but many of the others that were present believed that he was the true Messiah, and they followed him to the city of Capernaum, whither the evangelist tells us he, with his mother and disciples, went from Cana. There, according to St. Matthew, he began to preach, declaring himself the teacher of men. What St. John says of his manifesting his glory by the sign or miracle does not contradict his having wrought miracles before, but supposes them to have been wrought in secret. Nor does he assert that his glory was not shown also in other miracles, but infers merely that Jesus did not wish to be known as their author because the right time determined by the divine wisdom had not yet come. It is certain that he performed many and admirable wonders in Egypt, such as the destruction of the temples and their idols. To all these miracles, Most Holy Mary responded with heroic acts of virtue in praise and thanksgiving to the Most High. 
that his holy name was thus gloriously manifested. She was intent on encouraging the new believers and in the service of her divine Son, fulfilling these duties with peerless wisdom and charity. With burning love, she cried to the Eternal Father, asking him to dispose the heart and souls of men for the enlightening words of the Incarnate Word and drive from them the darkness of their ignorance. Instruction given to me by the Queen, the Mistress of Heaven, 331. My daughter, without any excuse, is the forgetfulness and negligence shown by each and every one of the children of the Church in regard to the spread and manifestation of the glory of their God by making known His holy name to all rational creatures. This negligence is much more blamable now since the Eternal Word became man in my womb, taught the world, and redeemed it for this very purpose. With this end in view, the Lord founded His Church, enriched it with blessings and spiritual treasures, assigned to it ministers, and endowed it with temporal riches. All these gifts are intended not only to preserve the Church in its present state, but to extend it and draw others to this regeneration of the Catholic faith. All should help along to spread the fruits of the death of their Redeemer. Some can do it by prayer and urgent desires for the exaltation of His holy name, others by almsgiving, others by diligent preaching, others by fervent works of charity. But if this remissness is perhaps less culpable in the ignorant and the poor, who have none to exhort them, it is very reprehensible in the rich and the powerful, and especially in the ministers and prelates of the church, whose particular duty is the advancement of the church of God. Many of them, forgetting the terrible account which they will have to render, seek only their vain honor instead of Christ's. They waste the patrimony of the blood of the Redeemer and undertakings and aims not even fit to mention and through their fault allow innumerable souls to perish, who by proper exertions could have been gained for the Holy Church, or at least they lose the merit of such exertions and deprive Christ of the glory of having such faithful ministers in his church. The same responsibility rests upon the princes and the powerful of the world who receive from the hands of God honors, riches, and temporal blessings for advancing the glory of the deity, and yet think less of the obligation than of any other. 332. Do thou grieve for all these evils and labor as far as thy strength will allow, that the glory of the Most High be manifest, that he be known in all nations, and that from the very stones may be generated sons of Abraham. Matthew 3.9. Since of all this thou art capable, beseech him to send able workers and worthy ministers to his church in order to draw men to the sweetest yoke of the gospel. For great and plentiful is the harvest, and few are the faithful laborers and zealous helpers for harvesting it. Let what I have told thee of my maternal and loving solicitude in gaining followers for my son and in preserving them in his doctrine and companionship be to thee a living example for thy own conduct. Never let the flame of this charity die out in thy breast. Let also my silence and modesty at the wedding feast be an inviolable rule for thee and thy religious in all exterior actions in retirement, moderation, and discretion of words, especially in the presence of men. For these virtues are the court dress, with which the spouses of Christ must adorn themselves in order to find grace in his divine eyes. This concludes our reading today for day number 218. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 1. Paragraphs 327 through 332. I thought there would probably be a bit more description of the wedding feast of Cana than what we received in today's reading.
Nevertheless, it's good for us to recall this miraculous event in which faith was increased and belief in Jesus and seeing the power of these miracles. That people, because they saw them, began to believe and they followed Jesus, his apostles and others. They wanted to see what else he might do. And so they followed him. Just to think, a simple request of Our Lady. They have no wine, not even a request, a mere statement, but ushers in the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. My hour has not yet come, Jesus says, but yet he performs this act and the hour now approaches, the hour of salvation and the hour of redemption. The wedding feast, of course, being a symbol of the wedding feast of heaven. This wedding feast and the water being turned into wine, a foreshadowing of the Holy Eucharist, where bread and wine will be turned into the body and blood of Christ. The water turned into wine as Jesus is given a sponge of wine on the cross. Really, this event catapults us to think about so many others. This event catapults us to think about the many great miracles and marvels and events of Christ. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.